University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Our family has a tradition on Sunday nights. Uh, we play board games, and there's nothing more humbling than having my six-year-old destroy me in Uno or my 10-year-old collect rent and make me go bankrupt in Monopoly. <laughs> what was your favorite board game growing up? Uh, when I was a kid, I loved not actually playing Mousetrap, but I loved setting up a Mousetrap and seeing all the things uh, that you trigger off. But my favorite game when I was a kid was uh, the game of life. The makers of Hasbro perfectly encapsulated the metaphor of living in the 21st century. At the beginning of game, there's two distinct adult paths, the college path and the career path. And along the way, you might land on buy stock or have children or borrow from the bank or millionaire's acres. Here's a, here's a fun fact. Uh, the original game actually included the spaces ruin, poverty, gambling, prison, disgrace, and suicide. <laughs> Sounds like a fun game for kids to play, right? Do you ever feel like you are playing the game of life? Do you ever feel like your life is like pieces on a board which the roll of the dice decides your fate? Maybe you don't feel like you're rolling the dice to determine your fate, but every single day just feels like punching in at work, climbing the advancement ladder, earning that paycheck, and living into the dream that you're told you're supposed to have of having a better home, a better car, taking that dream vacation. Maybe you feel like your life is on a preset game board of which you have no control over and how it will play out. But what is life? Is that how things are supposed to be? Have you ever considered that there might be a reason behind all this stuff? Today we're starting a new series, Life, a conversation on the meaning of existence from the book of Ecclesiastes. And for this, we take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. Now, to get the depth of our conversation, we need to understand the background of this book that we are studying. So verse 1 states, Ecclesiastes joins the likes of, of Proverbs and Song of Songs and Job for a portion of the Hebrew scripture known as the wisdom literature. And the book's authorship has been historically credited to King Solomon, mainly because the opening verses says the words of Colith, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. So the book is fully authored by Solomon or maybe partially credited to him. But it's quite a complicated book. As one author put it, each time we open Ecclesiastes, we have to cope again with its style, track down its arguments, and decode its imagery. It's a set of conversations between a teacher and the author, and they are juxtaposing voices. The voice we hear through the most uh, is, is the voice of the teacher, and the teacher has a unique view of life. The teacher is talking about some pretty intense topics, like the finality of our time on this planet the certainty of death, and the random nature of life. And his voice is best capsulated in the opening verses. So look at verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. 
What do people gain from all their labor, which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. It hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough seeing, nor the ear still fills of hearing. What has it will be again? What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which we can say, look, there is something new? It was here and already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generation. Even those yet to come will not be remembered by what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing where you find it. Someone who is, yes, he's in there because it seems to contradict the rest of the theology we find in the Bible and it has this humanistic approach. The book can all be summed up in one word that's repeated again and again meaningless. The word most of our Bibles translates either meaningless or it's vanity. It's the Hebrew word hevel. And and the word meaningless doesn't properly define what the author means to tell us about life. He goes down this infinite checklist of all the things that are meaningless. In chapter 2, he will tell us that pleasure is meaningless. Solomon, being the richest king in Israel's history who lacked for nothing, says that all the pleasures afforded to him are meaningless. I denied my eyes nothing I desire. I refused my heart no pleasure. And yet, he says, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. He goes on to say that foolishness is meaningless. Well, well, duh. (laughs) But then he also says that wisdom is meaningless because it only leads to more knowledge and more knowledge leads to more sadness. And chapter 2, he tells us that toil is meaningless. All of this hard work and labor is meaningless. Asking the question, yet when I surveyed all the hands my hands had done and toiled to achieve, everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What does the wealthiest man in Israel's history think about riches? You guessed it. It was meaningless. Whoever loves money will never have enough. Whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless, he writes. Just take a look at how the day begins and ends. Generations come and go. Streams flow into the sea. There is nothing new. Meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Don't crucify me, but I tend to agree with the author of Ecclesiastes. Maybe because I'm a card-carrying member of the Global Cynic Association. But when we stop and think about it, has humanity changed all that much? Ecclesiastes, since it was written, when we take a tremendous step back and survey our society, I see a lot of people the word pleasure for things that we pursue to give us comfort and security and fulfillment. We seek pleasure and find foods and exercise and entertainment and relaxation and physical interaction with others and friendships and projects around the house and, and vacations. We seek security and, and living security and fulfillment. But do we ever consider how we achieve these things? By what means, at what cost, and at the cost of who? 
We too are the beast of burdens when it comes to work, labor, and toil. The average American works 47 hours a week. Four in 10 Americans work 50 plus hours a week. And so we pour ourselves into our careers. We pursue advancement in the next position for the next company. And and all for what? To find fulfillment, to find purpose, to get a bigger paycheck, to get that bigger house, to get that nicer car, to have that better vacation. What is here today is gone tomorrow. We seek out meaning in things that are so temporal and so fleeting. And all these things, we bend our minds and our time and our bank accounts and our priorities that can easily just be taken just like that. Greek mythology holds that there was a king named Sisyphus, credited with being the wisest and craftiest of all mortals. He tricked the gods on more than one occasion, so the gods despised him. So when Sisyphus dies, Zeus punishes him by forcing him to roll an immense boulder up a hill, only to watch it roll back down, repeating this action for all. According to myth, is still pushing that boulder to the top of the hill. Do you think Sisyphus ever considered maybe not going to the boulder-pushing job one day or maybe trying it different than he tried the day before? If we really stop and think about it, do we ever stop and consider why we do the same things over and over again? We consume our lives with things that really honestly don't matter and won't bring us true meaning. We become so consumed with meaninglessness in our lives, we allow ourselves to be blinded by meaninglessness. We waste our lives with what really doesn't matter, and we're just too busy doing the stuff that we think will matter tomorrow, a year from now, 10 years from now, and, de- and down the road. How much of our lives do we waste doing things that really don't matter? How much time and money and priorities do we give to things that seem so important, though if we're honest, are really never going to satisfy? We waste our lives complaining and bellyaching and acting like the victim and talking about others. We waste our lives entertaining ourselves with endless hours of sports and media and social media that, we have, that have no direct impact on the purposefulness of our lives. We waste our lives fighting about things that will not matter tomorrow. We give so much energy to negativity and to criticism. Ever met that person that always has ideas, always talking the big talk, but doesn't do anything? We waste our lives with empty promises and delusions of grandeur. We waste our lives doing the same thing day after day, expecting a different result, a a better life. But it's all meaninglessness. And the author of Ecclesiastes is skeptical. He's he's undone his, his faith crisis mode. He pulls no punches, letting us know. He has big beef with God. He, he sees that life is this way because no matter what we do, no matter how much effort we put into things, at the end of the day, nothing has lasting value to show for it. Sure, we'll acquire nicer things. We even maybe have a bit of fame. But as the saying goes, you can't take those things with you when you die. If we swap out Sisyphus for ourselves, consider What is that boulder you keep pushing up the hill only for it to roll back on you? What pleasure and toil and foolishness or riches do we believe will bring so much meaning only to discover at the crest of the hill our boulder slips from our grasp and comes tumbling down the hill yet again? 
maybe, just maybe, if we're honest enough with ourselves this morning to own our meaninglessness, the things that we are pursuing, maybe meaninglessness, everything is meaninglessness, makes more sense than we care to acknowledge. Too, too often we see the vanity in our goals and our priorities and our time and our pursuits. Too often we're blinded by their meaninglessness until it is too late. We spend our lives working, filling our schedules, buying this and that. Too often it's in the end that we realize that we wasted our time. There's a poem entitled, A Shipwrecked People, that states, We are shipwrecked people, swamped by the raging seas. Desperately, we look for something to cling to, a plank of hope. We know that hope isn't in our money. We know it isn't in our fortune. We know it's not in our good looks. We know it's not in our connections. We know it's not in our job. But we've tried all these things, and they just cause us to sink into the dark ocean abyss. Next summer, UBC will be returning to the country of Ecuador for a mission immersion. And this beautiful country is in the heart of the Andes mountain range. The landscape is dotted with these beautiful snow-topped volcanoes. And the highest peak in Ecuador is Chimborazo. It's at 20,000 feet. The highest our team reached in 2014 was 14,000 feet. And when you're that high, you're actually quite literally looking down on the clouds or you're in the clouds. You know, from below, when we're here, you know, Baton Rouge, which is like below, <laughs> below sea level, we look up and, you know, we see the clouds in the sky and we think about what they're shaped like. But when you're in the clouds, it's just fogginess. There is formation, something there, but if you try to reach out and touch the cloud, it simply goes through your fingertips. You see, the word hevel here, the word for meaningless and vanity, can also be translated vapor or breath or delusion. This translation echoes the words of James in chapter 4, verse 14, when he says, Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You can translate hevel to mean without substance or nothing or emptiness or absolute absurdity. And when translated this way, it is less than life is meaningless, and it's more about the ever-changing and always shifting ways of life. Life might take shape in one way on this day, only to change drastically on the next day. And for anyone who's experienced the joy after great sorrow or success after years of failure or tragedy in the midst of wonderfulness, life is like a vapor. Despite how hard we try, we can never fully take hold of it. And the teacher is not claiming that life has no meaning, but that the purposefulness behind the dynamic aspects of life can feel like a vapor. It's something so difficult to take hold of. Which begs the question, so how can we take hold of it? What meaning can we actually attain? How do we discover true meaningfulness? Well, Jesus tells the story of a farmer who in one year saw his business triple and yield. The man went from being a simple farmer to being a man who lived in abundance overnight. Truly a dream come true. He made such great gain that he decided that he will tear down his old barns and he'll build bigger ones to house all that he had. 
And after all those years of hard work, he finally had plenty. But one night, as he lay down for bed, God came to him and said, You fool, tonight you will die. And your barn full of goods, who's going to get them? Well, Jesus tells the, the feel-good story of the year, doesn't he? When we often fail to see the context of the scripture. So why did Jesus tell this story in the first place? Well, after being approached by a man who wanted Jesus to be an arbitrator between him and his brother over who received the larger or equal portion of the family's estate, Jesus replies, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. You can hear the echoes of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Everything is meaningless. In another instance, Jesus had a rich young man come to him and ask, what must I do to inherit life to the full? Do you recall what Jesus says? He says, sell your possessions, give your money to the poor, and then come follow me. In other words, if you want to find life to the full, then get rid of all your stuff, give it away, and come follow me into life. In the gospel, Jesus is very interested in life. In fact, the word life in the gospels appears more times than the words love and grace combined. The word Jesus used for life is the Greek word zoe. It doesn't simply mean existence or making it or just breathing. Zoe means absolute fullness, life genuine, real life, or life to the full. And Jesus gives us new perspective on life when he says these things. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have life everlasting. The literal translation there is life to the full. The water I give you is the wellspring of life, Jesus says. I am the bread of life. Who, he who comes to me will not go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The thief comes to steal to kill and destroy, but I have come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. This is just a sample of Jesus' thoughts on the concept of life, true life, life to the full, and yet we can see that Jesus is about leading people into true life. You see, deep inside all of us is a creature that simply wants more. We want pleasure. We want security. We want comfort. We want answers. We want understanding. And because we want more, we complicate our lives by believing this stuff or these activities or these resources or this relationship will give us true. And what we find in Jesus throughout the gospels is is telling people to give their stuff away if they truly want to follow him. All four gospels cover stories in which Jesus tells people to give away their work their money, their homes, their priorities, and their comfort in order to come follow him. And of course, we dismiss these things altogether thinking it was just a command to a particular group of people at a particular set of time and circumstances. Of course, Jesus doesn't want us to do any of those things, let alone one of those things. It's so easy as we who live in the most comfortable society that's ever walked the face of the earth to over-spiritualize Jesus' words. We want the blunt edge of Jesus' sharp rebuke on wealth so it barely feels a prick on our skin. 
We don't want to hear Jesus' words about comfort and about luxury and about abundance. Have we ever stopped and considered that maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about? Have we ever allowed it to register in our brains that the reason the Gospels tell these stories with these specific words of Jesus is because they hold profound meaning in our lives? Are we willing to even for just a second consider for all our lives what it would look like if Jesus was calling us to do the same? And do we really consider that the Gospels are called good news for a reason? Jesus is inviting us into something better, more meaningful than we can experience in all these things we fill our life with. That's good news. And if we're willing to give away these meaningless things, that we will discover deep meaningfulness in Jesus, are we willing to do it? So my question for us this morning is, are we ready to stop chasing after the wind? Let's go into a time of quiet meditation and reflection.